Welcome to Parcast Crime Bites. We wanted to give our listeners some additional content to help them dive even deeper into the true crime world. Every week, in addition to your normal con artists episode, we're exploring the most fascinating true crime themes covered across the Parcast network. We've collected short clips from some of our most popular Parcast originals to help us explore ideas like motivation, method, and madness, and show how interconnected the true crime world really is. You can find the original episodes for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. A list of episodes that we used will be posted in the episode description. Today we're discussing criminal warning signs in childhood, red flags that sometimes pop up in a child's formative years to indicate that murder lies in their future. Researchers often point to the McDonald Triad as strong childhood predictors of violent crimes in adulthood. The triad refers to three behaviors singled out by researcher and psychiatrist John McDonald in 1963. He believed that the combination of bedwetting, fire setting, and cruelty to animals strongly indicated a child had a violent destiny. Though the accuracy of the McDonald Triad has been debated since it was popularized, many still put stock in its simple wisdom. Most often, the triad is associated with predicting a future serial killer. Research conducted by psychologists Charlotte Hannah Parfit and Emma Allen found that fire setting and cruelty to animals are the most concerning portions of the triad and typically lead to antisocial personality disorder in adulthood. Since McDonald's theory was first put forward, other psychological studies have sought other early identifiers in criminality. According to Suru Oh and Arthur J. Reynolds of the Institute for Child Development, childhood trauma and stress also predict later violent behavior. This can include stressors like family instability, abuse, low socioeconomic status, and parent criminality. In today's clips, we'll examine the childhoods of three killers and take a closer look at the criminal warning signs they displayed. We'll start with a clip from Parcast original Serial Killers. From 1970 to 1973, Dean Coral, a.k.a. The Candyman, sexually assaulted, tortured, and murdered at least 28 teenage boys in Houston, Texas. But before Dean became one of the United States' most notorious serial killers, he was a boy growing up in an unstable home. Before Dean reached high school, his parents had already married and divorced twice. In a 2014 study, Stress Contagion, Physiological Covariation Between Mothers and Infants, social psychologists Sarah Waters, Tessa West, and Wendy Berry Mendez found that stress is contagious between parent and child, affecting infants as young as a year old. Mary was undoubtedly stressed trying to provide for her family, and Dean likely contracted his mother's worry. In the mid-50s, when Dean was a teenager, his mother married a traveling salesman named Jake West and moved the family to Vider, Texas, a suburb of Beaumont on the Louisiana border. There, Dean played trombone in the Vider High School marching band. It was a focal point of the community, outshining the mediocre football team. Dean, like the other band members, was passionate about making the ensemble the best in the area. Playing was his main motivation to stay in school. But he also engaged in some troubling behavior. 
He kept flying squirrels he trapped chained around his neck, and sometimes he even brought them to school in his boots, allegedly while they were still alive, though some accounts indicate that the animals were killed. Animal abuse is a common feature among serial killers. According to Dr. Gail F. Melson, a professor of child development and family studies at Purdue, 70% of federal inmates who'd committed violent crimes abused animals as children, compared with 6% of nonviolent offenders. As we heard in that clip from Serial Killers, a teenage Dean Coral met several criteria that hinted at a future violence. Not only was he experiencing significant pressure, thanks to frequent moves with his stressed mother, he also displayed an alarming cruelty to animals. Though cruelty to animals isn't a sure sign a child will become a serial killer, it is a worrying trait that should be addressed. Psychologist Anna Baldry of the Second University of Naples emphasizes the importance of taking a child to therapy when they are cruel to animals. Unfortunately for his victims, Dean never got the help he so desperately needed. Eventually, his aggression toward animals evolved into torturous violence carried out on adolescent boys. Like Dean, our next killer showed signs of another component of the McDonald triad. Coming up, we discuss the childhood of Larry Swartz. Now back to the show. There are many red flags in childhood that can indicate problems to come. We often hear about bedwetting or animal cruelty, but domestic abuse and instability can also be a warning sign. Our next clip is from Crimes of Passion and discusses the childhood of convicted murderer Larry Swartz. In 1984, at the age of 17, Larry murdered his adoptive parents, Catherine and Robert, after an argument. Larry was adopted by Catherine and Robert when he was just six years old. Before that, his early years were turbulent at best. Abandoned by his teenage mother at just 20 months old, Larry spent years shuffling around the foster care system. Frequently moving from one home to another hindered his ability to form healthy attachments. In addition to this, young Larry was displaying some concerning behaviors. Several studies have found that foster children are susceptible to problematic food-related habits. In one paper on childhood trauma, psychiatrist Bruce D. Perry wrote, odd eating behaviors are common, especially in children with severe neglect and attachment problems. They will hoard food, hide food in their rooms, and eat as if there will be no more meals even if they have had years of consistently available foods. Larry's food habits were likely a signal of anxiety, but his foster mother didn't recognize this. To her, Larry's behavior was inexplicable and annoying. After Larry had lived with his family for a year, his caseworker ultimately recommended that they not move forward with an adoption. At a third home, Larry frustrated his new caretakers by repeatedly wetting the bed nearly every single night. As this habit wore on, it enraged his foster mother. Larry's caseworker advised the family that the problem stemmed from his feelings of insecurity, but this explanation did little to calm their anger. In counseling sessions, Larry described an unhappy home and a mother who yelled at him constantly. At one point, 
His foster mother became so angry at the sight of his wet sheets that she grabbed Larry's arm and twisted it behind his back. Larry tried to wrench himself away and his arm fractured. He had to wear a cast for the next five weeks. Larry's food scavenging also continued. A neighbor caught him searching her trash bins for food and teachers reported that Larry sometimes tried to steal from his classmates' lunchboxes. His foster parents were bewildered by this behavior. They thought he needed psychiatric help, but claimed they couldn't afford to pay for it. In that clip from Crimes of Passion, Larry Swartz displayed signs of clear psychological distress at a young age. Before even arriving at the home of the parents he would eventually murder, Larry experienced years of trauma, bouncing from foster home to foster home. One of the signs Larry displayed was bedwetting. Adding to young Larry's problems, his foster mother reprimanded him for wetting the bed, sometimes violently. Dr. Fatin Nabil Al-Zaban of the Faculty of Medicine at King Abdulaziz University says this kind of reaction can not only worsen the problem, but it can also lead to depression. In these first two instances, the troubling behaviors and warning signs may have been remedied with psychological help. There's a chance that addressing their childhood traumas could have resulted in different outcomes. But our final killer displayed more than just early warning signs. At 10, he was torturing small animals, but that was just the beginning. He soon showed he wasn't afraid to kill very early in life. The final clip is from Villains and covers one of the most prolific hitmen in history, Richard Kuklinski. In 1988, Richard was convicted of five murders, but he claims to have murdered hundreds as a mafia hitman. Richard was surrounded by violence from the very day he was born in 1935. His father, Stanley, was an alcoholic with a hair-trigger temper. Richard's older brother, Florian, bore the brunt of the abuse. That is, until the day when Stanley hit the young Florian too hard and killed him. What Richard remembered most was that, with his brother gone, it meant he received twice as many beatings. His mother, Anna, could do nothing but stare at the wall and pray that Stanley's wrath wouldn't take another son away from her. But for all her prayer, God never arrived to save them. Things were just as bad at school. Richard was bullied relentlessly for his gawkiness, his tattered clothes, and his Polish heritage. And in the seedy parts of Jersey City, where mobs and gangs ran the streets, schoolyard bullies didn't pull their punches. When Richard was 13 in 1949, one of these bullies beat him so badly that he was bedridden for weeks. His mother wanted to go to the police, but Richard preferred to take matters into his own hands. When he finally regained his strength, he grabbed a wooden pole from the closet and waited outside the bully's apartment building. When the boy came home that evening, Richard raised his pole, stared him in the eye, and calmly beat him over the head until he stopped moving. He hadn't meant to kill the other boy, but as he looked down at his lifeless body, he didn't feel any regret. In fact, revenge felt good. It felt 
just. In that moment, he learned that when it came to violence, it was better to give than to receive. Even at the young age of 13, Kuklinski had developed the moral code that would govern the rest of his life. In that clip from Villains, we heard mafia hitman Richard Kuklinski's first disturbing murder carried out when he was just 13 years old. He had grown up in a stressful, violent household and would go on to live a life dominated by his own violent misdeeds. In today's Crime Bites, we took a closer look at the developmental antecedents present in children who grew up to be violent, murderous adults. In serial killers, the Candyman, Dean Coral, exemplified one aspect of the McDonald triad, cruelty to animals. His unaddressed violent tendencies would later manifest in the murders of nearly 30 teenage boys. In Crimes of Passion, Larry Swartz spent his earliest years traumatized by the foster care system. During this time, his bedwetting, a McDonald triad component, was only made worse by his foster mother's aggressive reaction. Lastly, in Villains, Richard Kuklinski's abusive father killed his brother, setting a violent example for young Richard that would reverberate throughout his life. While these childhood warning signs do not always predict criminality in adulthood, they can be considered red flags, issues that, if left to fester, can manifest into horrific, violent consequences. Thanks for tuning in to ParCast Crime Bites. We hope you enjoyed this episode on criminal warning signs in childhood. We'll be back next week with a new episode on cultural clashing. If you'd like to listen to the episodes we discussed today in full, simply search for our ParCast original shows, Serial Killers, Crimes of Passion, or Villains on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. I'll see you next time.